Good morning. Welcome to the Long Live Alternative Parties podcast. Free Press Media Press Inc. and Alternative Parties Books Publisher sponsors this podcast. I'm Andrew Bouchard. Welcome to the Long Live Alternative Parties podcast. Today, friends, we have another exciting guest on this podcast, like we always do. His name is Mike Saliba, and he's with the Libertarian Party of Michigan. He's going to tell us about the exciting things he does today. So welcome to the podcast, Mike. Hi, thanks for having me. Glad to have you, Mike. Let's get started by you kindly giving us an introduction to yourself, a brief biographical sketch. All right. Um, Well, in terms of the Libertarian Party, it's something I have found out about uh, during the 2000 presidential run of Harry Brown. Um, That's what kind of inspired me to go door-to-door for the party for the first time when I was 16 years old. Uh, And then bringing it up to speed, um, the way our party is set up, there's a national party. The national party affiliates state parties, and the state parties recognize uh, local affiliates, although the local affiliates are still considered part of the state party. In Macomb County, Michigan, where I live, It's the third largest county in the state, and they had had an inactive affiliate there. So I founded a new one in 2016 in time for that election, which is the first election I ran for state representative. Uh, We were pretty fast growing for a while, tapered off since uh, the pandemic. And currently, um, I am the chair of the Macomb County affiliate, but I'm also first vice chair of the Libertarian Party of Michigan, and I am their candidate for United States Congress in our new 10th district. All right. Sounds like you're doing a lot of stuff. That's excellent. Yes. (laughs) So as vice chair, as you see it, what are your roles and responsibilities? So the way we restructured our bylaws a couple of years ago when our party uh, maintained, uh, attained primary status in the state of Michigan, we have two vice chairs, the first vice okay. chair and the second vice chair. The first vice chair is what we call the affiliates director. Like I said, we have our local affiliates, and there's still new ones forming all the time. There are unaffiliated areas in the more rural parts of Michigan that are still coming online. Uh, and that is my, those are my duties is to just sort of guide them along. And that's why I got the role was because of my previous, uh, you know, work of creating a affiliate from scratch. Sounds good. So for your congressional race, what district are you running for? Um, so right now it's a lot of, uh, area that was covered by what would have been what is currently Michigan's ninth district okay. uh, in the northern suburbs of Detroit. We had a redistricting sort of like anti-gerrymandering board uh, create the new district that we'll be running for for the first time this November. And if anybody knows the area, uh, Clinton Township, Harrison Township, Sterling Heights, and Warren, uh, Warren being the third largest city in Michigan, I believe um, it's that area, mostly Macomb County with a little bit of Oakland County uh, in Rochester. All right. So how would you describe the demographics of the area? Is it rural, urban? Is it black, white? 
red, blue, what, what are the demographics? Uh, Macomb County is a purple county, and I'm sort of part of Macomb County. Okay. Uh, Macomb County has accurately chosen the president for every presidential election uh, since Reagan. Oh so you always see uh, CNN or Fox News coverage of the polls in Macomb. Uh, it, it flips back and forth. It's a lot of uh, middle-class people, but middle-class people who probably either started out um, in the auto industry or now the sons and daughters of people who made a good living in the auto industry who have branched out into other things. So is there's sort of a working class ethic, but with like it's uh, branched out into um, it's gone from sort of is half blue collar, half white collar is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> so during the race and in office, if you get elected, how do you plan to implement the Libertarian Party vision? A lot of things that I'm focused on right now are issues that already have bills written for them. Uh, one of my number one issues, which isn't necessarily uh, most popular amongst the entire Libertarian Party, is H.R. 25, uh, which is known as the Fair Tax. That is a bill that's already been written and co-signed by Republicans and Democrats and has been in committee. It's now the most researched bill in committee with the United States Congress. And what that is, is a bill that will uh, eliminate the IRS, uh, call for the removal of the 16th Amendment to the Constitution within seven years, and replace all federal uh, taxes with a consumption tax that is rebated to the uh, average citizen at the uh, poverty level of spending. And because that's something that has been co-signed by Republicans and Democrats, uh, rather than looking for the purest libertarian solutions, I'm looking for the most pragmatic ways to get libertarian goals achieved with Republicans and Democrats. And that is a, my prime example for something like that. That sounds radical, getting rid of the IRS. Are people's you think that has a good shot of passing? Uh, it has been in committee for a very long time, but because it has had uh, some pretty high-profile um, co-sponsors in the past, I think more on the Republican side, like the most high-profile people to have co-signed this bill have been Mike Huckabee, Mike Pence, and Ron DeSantis, and oh my, both yeah. Mike Pence and Ron DeSantis are probably going to be running for president uh, in 2024, and that will give them a platform to speak about it. Uh, and it is also uh, very progressive in the sense that people living and spending at the poverty level are completely untaxed, whereas people who splurge the most pay the most in taxes, and Democrats are always talking about the richer people paying their fair share. Uh, I think it picks up some progressive support, and especially it has some things in common with Andrew Yang's previous presidential run. Uh, I think it picks up some interest on the left as well. And it's the type of thing a lot of fringe candidates 
have been getting attention by picking like one big program that's pretty radical like Andrew Yang with his monthly stipend or like AOC with her Green New Deal, something that's radically different. But people, I think, at this point are looking for something like that. In addition to that, what other issues are on your platform? Um, mostly, you know, your standard fare of reducing the size and scope of government. There is another bill in uh, Congress called the RPM Act, again, with Republican and Democrat co-sponsors. This is a bill that will protect the rights of car owners to modify their own car. Um, there's currently uh, an opportunity for the FDA to usurp that control and regulate all of that. At, not, I'm sorry, I said FDA, EPA. <laughs> EPA, all under the name of environmental protection, basically preventing you from even upgrading the air filters in your car or forever using a car that has had a VIN number as an amateur race car. And just in uh, southeast Michigan, where I am, uh, you know, car culture is a big thing, and that's hitting home with a lot of people. Uh, also, just, you know, Second Amendment rights, uh, but also uh, social private issues. You know, we just had the uh, uh, same-sex marriage get codified in the Congress. That's taken care of. But those types of social issues where I just don't think the government um, needs to be in your business. I think on the social end, a lot of people who were traditionally uh, Republican voters, because they cared about keeping uh, economic and financial issues under control, would vote Republican. But a lot more of those people are no longer concerned with the social agenda of the Republicans. They're no longer hung up on uh, gay marriage or even the drug war. Uh, that those people can find a home in the Libertarian Party. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. So, so and there are a lot of Democrats who have now felt the effect of inflation and runaway spending who would like to be uh, as socially liberal as they have been but no longer want to spend trillions of dollars in the process. Okay. So how would you plan to deal with inflation since that's the big issue facing our country right now? Uh, basically, um, I've pledged to vote no on anything other than a balanced budget. I've also pledged to uh, vote yes on any audit of the Federal Reserve. Um, the passing of the fair tax uh, also sort of inadvertently creates uh, better opportunities for people to create their own uh, currencies. Uh, since investments under the fair tax are untaxed, things like Bitcoin or even gold are treated and taxed as investments. So you can't really use them as currency as well as you can just U.S. dollars. But under the fair tax, since they would no longer be taxed, uh, you could start actually trading more uh, easily in a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin or a traditional metal-based currency like gold and silver just at the private voluntary level, but having those types of options available to you would actually cause the Federal Reserve to be a little bit more cautious with the way they treat and inflate the U.S. dollar. 
Sure. So earlier I heard you mention that your party has been declared a major party in Michigan. Does that mean you don't have to go through the ballot access hurdles? Um, ballot access in Michigan has been pretty good for us for quite a while. What happened was after the 2016 run of Gary Johnson, we gained primary status, which means okay. we were allowed to have primary elections like the Republicans and the Democrats, but without attaining major party status, which means we didn't get any of the in-kind state funding. So we were sort of in a limbo place where it was as hard for us to run our candidates as Republicans, Democrats, as far as signatures for different offices, but it was not as beneficial for us as the Republicans and Democrats because like their gubernatorial candidates got over a million dollars, whereas we got zero. Um, but that status was lost after 2018 uh, because our top of ticket candidates weren't able to uh, hit the same numbers as Gary Johnson was. So that's sort of come and gone, but the effects of it are still here. I see. So what is your campaign strategy to reach the voters? Uh, right now we're focused very much on uh, door knocking. Um, I've tracked some uh, success in the Republican Party, but also the Libertarian Party as well with door knocking campaigns. And even my uh, former Republican opponent in the last election, who, although he was a Republican, he was sort of a libertarian-leaning Republican and not well-liked by the Republican establishment, um, he was able to win his primary almost purely through door knocking, with only, I think he said, a $3,500 budget. I consulted him a few times about that. And so we are having big campaign, uh, big door knocking days on weekends where we get teams to come out. Weekends are good because people are there to answer the door and uh, ask any questions. So it's always good to have more people available for there because you stay at each house longer. And then on the weekdays, it's mostly just been myself going, and most people don't answer the door on weekdays. So I have a door hanger uh, with my top issues on one side and the world's smallest political quiz on the other side. I like using the world's smallest political quiz on my material because it lets people answer questions and see where they are on the political spectrum if you've never taken it. Uh, well, let's see. The world's smallest political quiz by the advocates of self-government. It'll come up with any uh, Google search or something, but a lot of people end up scoring onto the uh, libertarian quadrant of the political chart having never known they were a libertarian. And I think that's really where we're at is about, you know, 3% of the population votes libertarian, but about 30 to 35% of the population agrees with the libertarian um, positions. They just don't associate it with any political party because it's never on the news. It's never, you know, in the debates. So I heard you mention that one guy who's a Republican, who's libertarian, leaning, who's your opponent. Who is the Democratic candidate? What are they like in are there other alternative party candidates and where are they like? 
So that, uh, the, the Republican I was mentioning was my re- – he was my opponent in uh, 2020. Okay, not now. Um, and not now. So okay. in, uh, we haven't had the major party primaries yet, so I don't completely know who my Republican-Democrat opponents are going to be, but it's a strong indication that um, my Republican opponent will be John James, He's uh, an out-of-towner. He will not be able to vote for himself in this district, but he has lots of money. Uh, he's putting up a bigger fight than any Republican has in this area in a really long time. Uh, and he's failed two bids for U.S. Senate, and I don't believe he's held any elected office otherwise. And then my Democratic opponent will probably be Carl uh, Malinga. He's a local judge who at the age of 75 is at forced retirement age. That's the only reason he's running for Congress is something to do in his forced retirement. Huh. And he's been indicted by some federal uh, grand juries and just has he's, – he's, he's well-liked enough, but there's, there's issues with him. And I think he'll be – this has traditionally gone Democrat for U.S. House, but because of the redistricting and because of the weak fundraising – that uh, Carl's bringing in from the Democrats and the very, very strong fundraising that John James is bringing in for the Republicans. This will be a very close race between those two than it has in a long time. As far as I know, um, the other parties that have typically run against me are the Green Party and a new party called the Working Family Party. I don't know that either of them are running anybody in this district right now. Okay. So, Mike, for our audience out there, how can they support your campaign? Um, the best way is if you're local to uh, come out and do some door knockings with us. Otherwise, um, I'm a little underfunded at the moment. Uh, my income has changed within the last couple of years due to the pandemic. Oh, and no. the uh, changes it's created in the mortgage industry where I previously worked. Um, I own my own business, uh, axeheadwatch.com, axehead watchmakers. We make wooden watches. You could buy a watch, and it doesn't necessarily go. It just goes to me. But other than that, if you, uh, we're setting up a website to take in uh, donations, but uh, I believe in time, talent, and treasure. If you can't donate your treasure your time and your talent, if you can help me out with building good websites, if you can help me out with social media, uh, please contact me. The best way right now is Facebook, uh, Mike Saliba for U.S. Congress, and we'll find a role for you. I've already had more people volunteer and more strangers, people I've never met before, volunteer for this campaign than any of the others I've previously run. That's a good position to be in. Yes. That's awesome. Mike, we thank you for coming on the podcast today and talking about your campaign. Oh, no problem. Thank you. We wish you all the best in your campaign and your personal and professional endeavors. Oh, thank you very much. Have a great day. All right. Take care and all the best.